Good to see each one of you here this morning. It truly is. And I just pray the Lord will bless you, that, that you recognize his presence with you, or touch your heart, uh, he'll speak to you, and you'll walk away with what he has for you. So go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for each person here. I want to thank you, Father, for just allowing us to be together without fear of danger, like in other countries, Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ gathered together to worship you, and uh, they live in fear, Father, of, of tyranny and, and disaster. And Father, I pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters that as they meet in their synagogues across not only our country but the world, I pray that you will protect them as well. And I pray, Father, that you will show your sovereign hand above these things. And I just pray now, Father, that you will carry this message, preach it, and may we just have a time where we each individually meet with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love the uniqueness of Jesus. Now, that sounds strange, but the message hopefully will make sense to that. We're continuing our series of messages, Miracles of Christmas. And today's the miracle of the method. The miracle of the method is what we're going to look at. We're continuing that, that series of messages. One of the mysteries and miracles of the secular world's Christmas is how Santa is able, right, to deliver toys to all the children around the world within one night. It's quite a quandary, to say the least, how he accomplishes that feat. It's mind-boggling, and many shows have, have tried to come up with their own ideas on how Santa gets all those toil, toys to everybody around the world in one night. And it's an unbelievable part of the Christmas story. It's an unbelievable part, right? The miracles of Christmas and the miracle that, that in the method that God used for Christmas is also a method that is beyond our comprehension, isn't it not? We're going to look at, look at what God did and how unusual it was to bring us his son. So one of the miracles of Christmas is that the miracle and the method God used, God's methods are beyond our comprehension. And that's what I was referring to to the beginning of the message, that I love the uniqueness of Jesus. He doesn't stand by orthodoxy. <laughs> he does things that are unorthodox. Jesus did that all the time when he walked the face of the earth. And, and I love that about him. And in Romans eleven thirty three, Paul wrote, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Sometimes things happen in our lives that God is doing that is definitely not the way we would organize it, not the way we would want it or think that was the best way. But God has his purpose in everything. Paul begins this doxology of praise to God, focusing on the greatness of God and how absolutely wonderful God is. His riches, his wisdom, his knowledge are great beyond measure. Isn't that right? The wisdom, the knowledge, right? The riches of God, everything about him beyond our comprehension, beyond measure. His methods are beyond our understanding. And honestly, when you think about God's method throughout history, but in, in particular, the Christmas story, to the world, it's considered to be foolishness. What do you mean? God made Mary pregnant and Mary gave birth to God? And that sounds absurd to the world. But to the believer, it's, it's beautiful. And, as, and it's also very true. 
Whereas Santa Claus making his run around the world is absurd in logistics, right? And it's only a story. It's not true. But Jesus' account is true. And his method, God's method of introducing his son to the world is different than what you and I might have planned if we were to plan the entrance of Christ into the world. If we were writing that script of redemption for, for mankind, right, we, we, we certainly wouldn't have written it the way it came down. We would not have presented Jesus in a manger, would we? No. We would not. We would. We would have planned great pomp and great, great uh, advertising and great wonder and great awe and, and built it up as high as we could have. But God chose not to do that. What did He do? He chose to have His Son born in a humble and poor environment. Mary and Joseph were just very, very young, very, very poor. They were born, and Jesus was born in a manger which is a feeding trough in a barn. Now, that's not hyping it up for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> but God has his own method, his own way. What I love about it is that God said, I'm going to step off of my throne in glory, and I'm going to humble myself to such low level in society that all people would be able to approach me. That it would not be of a standard that people would say, I can't go to him. I can't, he can't understand, or he can't love me, or, or whatever. So God presented himself in the most lowly of states. And his parents were plain and ordinary, but obscure individuals. You ever feel obscure in society? <laughs> ordinary, not noticed, wanting to be noticed, but God notices you. And we're not ordinary to God. We're created in his image and for his glory. And yet God, what, what did God do with Joseph and Mary? He chose this young couple, right? Very poor couple uh, to give birth to Jesus. He chose Mary to carry Jesus in her womb. He chose Joseph to be a, a surrogate earthly father for Jesus for a period of time. So the miracle of Christmas is seen in the method God chose to reveal himself to us. That's a miracle. So is it not? That God, God said, I'm, the, the, God told Joseph and, and Mary, said, I'm going to go and, and, and I'm going to, uh, I don't know else, how, how else to say it, but I'm going to make Mary pregnant with my son. And she's going to give birth to God in the flesh. And that's mind-boggling to think of how God did that. Only he would have used that method. We wouldn't have, would we? If we were planning the presentation of Jesus into the world, we certainly wouldn't have gone that route. We wouldn't even have even thought about it. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. I love that. You know why I love that? Because when I'm confused, I can say, God, okay, you're not thinking the way I am, and that's okay. <laughs> you, you've got it planned out. You know what you're doing, and you know why, and your reasons are always good. Verse 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, the, the way God thinks, and the way he organizes, and how, how he structures things is far above not only our thinking, but is um, of a standard and a height and a value that is far above what we can even attain in our own thinking. 
I mean, after all, would we have thought Jesus coming and being born in a manger as being a method to humble himself before all people so all people have freedom to approach him? See, that's the thinking that we wouldn't have thought, but God did. He has a mightier, mightier way. And we shouldn't be surprised at God's methods. Look at this. He chose Abraham to leave his home to travel to a place of promise. Remember, God said Abraham or Abram. said, you're living in the land of the Chaldeans of Ur, right? Which is still a real country today. <laughs> and they left, left paganism. And he just said to Abram, you take your family and you go that way until I tell you to stop. Well, that's not the way we probably would have handled that. But that's how he handled it in Abraham's life. He chose Joseph, the next to the youngest of Jacob, to become the savior of his family. Remember Joseph in Egypt. He chose Israel, the least significant nation, to be his special people. He chose David, the shepherd boy, and not any of his older brothers to become king of Israel. He chose Bethlehem, a small insignificant spot on the landscape of Israel, to be the birthplace of his son. Do you see the pattern that's revealed in this? That God does things differently than we do, and what he chooses to do that's different is far greater and better than what we could have thought of ourselves. Because the motive, the intent, and the outcome of it is far greater than what we ourselves could ever comprehend. Over and over again, God chose plain, ordinary people through whom he could do his extraordinary, extraordinary work. So he chose you and me, plain, ordinary people, to do his work. So when we speak about God, our faith in God, our stand in God, our love for God, our belief in God, however God calls us to stand in our own individual life is how God is using us, ordinary people, to represent him. And it's not any less valuable than anything else when we stand for God. So how impossible is it for us to understand God's decisions and methods? Sometimes we scratch our heads and say, God, I don't get it. I know what you're doing. I don't know why you've allowed this. I don't like this. Or this is overwhelming. I can't believe this is happening. Whatever the case is. So it's impossible for us to understand God's decisions and methods entirely. But let's look at... Um, what Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7 says. And it came to pass in those days that, that a decree went out from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Canarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Remember, Mary in, in, was in a, in a real dire predicament. You know, she said, whatever you want. You know, I'm going to overcome you, with, and you're going to bear the, the king of kings and lord of lords, whatever you want, paraphrasing. But that meant that she was with child out of wedlock. Yet God was holy, and God used that for a reason, for many, many reasons. 
to do it that way. And then Joseph, as a man, a good man, was going to put her away quietly because he didn't want to embarrass her. But God spoke to him, sent his angel and said, don't worry, everything's cool. Everything's good. Everything's right. It's just the way I'm planning it. You don't have to worry about these external circumstances. I'm in charge. And Joseph said, okay. What great faith of Mary and Joseph. Luke records in his account of Christ's birth that Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem to register for the census because there was no room for them in the inn. Didn't kick his wife out, right? Talking about our play. Because there was no room in the inn and they placed baby Jesus in the manger in the barn. So there we have it. Jesus is in the barn. The ma a manger, a feeding trough for animals, and they stayed in a barn. Okay? We would never have used the method that God had in store for us to receive the Messiah at his birth. Never have taken God and put him into a trough. Right? Then what happens in God's Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15? Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will, be, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. That last scripture there, that last, those last few words, which the Lord has made known to us. Who's saying that? The shepherds. Why is it significant that God sent his angelic hosts to proclaim the birth of the Savior to shepherds. Because shepherds were the lowliest, most disregarded, disrespected people in society and their culture in that day. And yet God in his love and in his humility and in his greatness and in his kindness said, you know what? You may be considered to be worthless and, and of no importance in your culture and your society, but I'm going to honor you shepherds tonight with the glorious news, and you're going to go and find them and proclaim that. Wow, God chose another method to present himself in a way that culture wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have done that. They would have expected a different manner. And yet God did that to show his great love. To celebrate the occasion, angels announced the news of Christ's birth, and they shared it to the shepherds. They didn't share it to kings, okay, or queens, or religious rulers, or military leaders. They didn't go up to the top ranks. They went to the low, he went to the lowest rank, if you will, of society. God chose to make that grand, grand announcement to those shepherds, filling their responsibilities to care for the flocks. Fulfilling their responsibilities to care for the flocks. So they were stinky, smelly, uneducated, and God said, I don't care, I love you, and I'm going to give you this privilege. The more you think about it, the more incredible the whole story becomes. It's almost unbelievable. Why? Because God, what he, 
with Mary. How did Mary become with child? Uh, in a manger, he was born. And shepherds that are rejected are receiving the announcement of the greatest news the world has ever received or will receive. How wonderful, how wonderful is that? Once again, part of the miracle of Christmas is the miracle of the method. The miracle of the method. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I want you to remember that. God uses you, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. What was the key of Joseph and Mary, or even the shepherds? Believe. They believed and trusted in God's will and his purpose. So as ludicrous as it may have sounded to Mary, Mary believed and yielded to the Father. As ludicrous as it was to go into the manger, they did that. And as ludicrous as it was for the shepherds to say, you want us to make this announcement? How are we going to represent you? And, and basically God was saying, I'm telling you to represent me. And you have that authority to do so. So God uses ordinary people to accomplish ordinary things. Think about the miracle for, of this method for just a minute. Following the resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared first to a group of women. Jesus didn't go to the men or the religious leaders. He chose the method that didn't make sense. Women in the, in the days of Jesus weren't even counted in census. Okay? They, weren't, they weren't recognized. All right? Women would first deliver the news. What a privilege. After that, Jesus revealed himself to his followers and gave them the responsibility to go and make disciples around the world. Just 12 guys baptizing and teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them. And that work is still going on today. How powerful is that? That those 12 men, right, commissioned with the word, taught by Jesus, establishing the church, laying the foundation for the church, built the church, and the, and the word of God continues to go on even to today. To that small band of followers, much like the shepherds, Jesus trusted the good news of salvation. You get the point that I'm trying to make? God does things in the out-of-the-ordinary way. So when God works in your life in a way that's out of the ordinary, thank him, even if you don't understand, because he's God and he knows what he's doing, and he has good purpose for it. He's always working good in your life, always, even if you don't see it. Think about the magnitude of what Jesus did, okay? The salvation of the world rested in the hands of these few followers, simple, ordinary people. And we may have chosen different methods to introduce Jesus, right? Um, why not? We may have said, well, we're going to send a legion of angels to deliver the message. A legion is 10,000, and there's... Ten thousands times thousands times thousands and thousands and on and on of legions of angels in heaven. <laughs> How great is that? How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and methods. Can we explain why God used this method? Yes, in some ways, but I don't think to the entirety of the depth of the richness of what God was doing through it. Paul commented on this miracle of the method that God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary work. I want you to think about a time that maybe God has worked in your life that you didn't expect that was used for him. And if you can't reflect on that, know this, that as a believer in Christ, as you follow him, he will. 
He, as you follow him, he will, he will orchestrate that which is extraordinary in your life to be used for him and his glory. And that's a great privilege. That's a great privilege. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, you know, that's a humbling statement because we're in that group. <laughs> right? Because everybody, there's always someone smarter than us, richer than us, more successful than us, right? It goes on and on and on, right? But to look at, look at ourselves as being of, a, of a, maybe the lower end of the stick, so to speak. But God uses that people, the ones that aren't expected to be used, to reveal himself and his glory. So I want to read that again. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. <clears throat> Verse 28, <clears throat> excuse me. And the base things, like the shepherds of the world, and the things which are despised, right? God has chosen. Don't ever allow Satan to think that you're worthless. Don't let Satan convince you that you have no value and have no worth. First of all, you're created, we are created in the image of God. Second of all, God loves us with a love that's immeasurable. Third, it's demonstrated by his death on the cross for us as our Savior. Fourth, he knows us, loves us, and is close to us and wants to be in our life regardless of who we are. And as we follow him, we'll discover the things that he wants to do in our life that sometimes doesn't make logical sense, but that God will use for his glory and for his purpose. God's meth meth methods of using the weak, the foolish, and the things that just don't make sense allow him to demonstrate his power and glorify him. What would happen if God used the wise, the powerful, the rich? Not saying that he doesn't, but I'm saying in general that that's where he would go to. There would be a greater uh, opportunity or temptation to say, well, God chose me because of who I am or where I am, or how rich I am, or whatever. And God doesn't want us to take any glory. He wants to receive all the glory and is due all the glory. There's another aspect to this miracle of a method that we need to understand. God is at work in our lives in ways that we do not and cannot fully comprehend. Now I think in heaven, when we look back as believers in Christ, we're going to see God's hand in our life in ways that we never really realized. Right now, it's kind of clouded. We can find markers in our life where we see where God has intervened, but I don't think we see the whole picture of how God has walked with us and been with us and shaped us and has made us, made us what he wants us to be. In the same way that we would have written the script differently about the birth of Christ concerning his redemptive work and the redemptive work of mankind, we would write the script differently for our own sanctification. <laughs> Once we begin that spiritual journey through faith in Christ, now get what I'm saying? If we were to write our script, our life for what we want, then uh, we, would, we would certainly plan it out differently than what we're experiencing in our walk. For instance, when, when people, early on in my ministry, 
when people came forward to receive Christ, I would tell them, to look, don't think that now that you've received Christ as your Savior that it's going to be a bed of roses. You know what I mean by bed of roses? All rose petals, soft and smells great and wonderful, right? It's going to be uh, like the rose stem. You're going to go smooth sailing for a little bit, then there's going to be a thorn. It's going to hurt. But then there's going to be a leaf of growth. And that process is going to repeat itself over and over and over your entire life. Now, if you and I were to write the way we would want to live after Jesus came into our heart, we would X out all the negative stuff, right? All the painful things. But in all honesty, if we don't experience the painful things, how much have we learned through pain and suffering? How much have we learned through challenging circumstances where we were needing to rely on God? So we can take those pains and those challenges and, and those struggles and thank God for them because through those pains and challenges and struggles and leaning on Christ, we grow in our relationship with Jesus. That's a method that we would not have chosen, would we? <laughs> we would not choose. God, I wanted smooth sailing and rich all the way till you take me home. God says, I got news for you. You're going to have some real dips and challenges. But as you rely on me, you're going to discover me and my love for you and my strength in you. And so that's, that's part of what's being, what I'm trying to say here is that we have a different plan, a different mode that we think that we would plan for ourselves, but God's way is totally out of our realm of thinking and totally above our thinking and totally uh, much more profound than anything with purpose than what we could even conceive in our hearts and eyes that God is working in our lives. We experience problems and pains and pressures. We experience struggles and sickness. We experience temptations and failures. We take one step forward. You ever feel this way? You take one step forward in your walk with Christ and three steps backward. And what I mean by that is not that we, we grow less in Christ. It means that I know I'm walking with God. I'm making progress with God. I'm, I'm growing closer to God. I'm knowing him better. I'm loving him more deeply. He's more and more real in my life. I'm walking in step with him and fellowship with him. And next thing you know, you're like a fish out of water flopping on a deck, messing up royally on things that you know better. But that's still part of the plan. God knows our weaknesses and he wants to, to just walk us through and as we cling to him, we will grow in him. We may not understand God's method of allowing struggles, but we can trust that God is at work in our lives for our good. The pain that you and I suffer, the circumstances that are struggling, all the things that we face that we'd rather not face, know this, that God is working good in that in your life. It's, it's shaping you for what he wants you to be, and it will be a place in your life that you will go back to and see where God has worked, and you'll be able to use that for good for other people as you move forward. We must choose to believe that God is working to shape us and mold us so that we become more like Jesus. You think shaping and molding us to be like Jesus was going to be smooth sailing? <laughs> He's got a lot of work to do in that clump of clay. You dig up a handful of clay, there's rocks, or there might be crabgrass in it, or whatever else in it, right? And it's got to be taken out. Praise God, he doesn't take it all out all at once. 
right? You follow what I'm saying? God shapes us and molds us, and then when it comes to that place, where, oh, we're going to have to work with this one. Pretty good pebble there. It's painful, but once it's eradicated, once it's moved out of our heart and it's smoothed over, the vessel becomes more beautiful and more useful for God and his kingdom. We need to rely on God that way. We must choose to believe that God is working to shape us and to mold us that we become more like Jesus. This requires us to believe what he promised in Romans 8.28. We all know it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Who are those that love God? People say, oh, I love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Does that mean we have to keep a bunch of rules? Well, it means that it means the first and greatest commandment is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Believe and be baptized. That's the first and greatest commandment. To recognize that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and was buried and rose and he's alive today and simply say, Lord, I know you did all that and I believe you that you died for my sin. Please come into my heart. Forgive me for all my sin. Past, present, and future. And be my Lord. I want to live with you. I want you to live with me. And see, that's part of the, the first step of, that is the first step to having a relationship with God. So when the scripture says here, and know that all things work together for the, to those who love God, it's referring to believers. So the believer's life isn't the bed of roses. The believer's life is going to have a lot of struggle. The world outside of Christ has a lot of struggle. But praise God, we have Jesus. We have Jesus that we can call on, rely on, and depend on to be our strength and our courage, especially during the most trying of times in our lives. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you feel the knock on your heart, the Holy Spirit is literally, that means Jesus is literally talking to you. Now maybe you're already saved and you're feeling a knock on your heart, I'm just going to extrapolate here a little bit. Whenever God is trying to get our attention, listen to him. Yield to him. Follow him. Because in doing so, you're loving him. And we'll grow closer to him. So just remember, the miracle of the method that, the method is that God uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary things for the sake of his kingdom. God uses you, people like you and me. Hey, I was, um, I just put it bluntly, I was fat, shy, uh, easily intimidated, insecure, and God says, I'm calling you to be a pastor. Now, is that out of the norm? If I was to look at myself, I said, well, you know what? That's not the way it works here. <laughs> this is not what I would plan for myself. And so God takes our lives, ordinary people, to show his power, to show who he is in our life. And as we follow him and yield our lives to him, God works through us to reveal himself not only to us, but to others through us. And it brings him glory. So praise God for being abnormal. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of the message. God is abnormal. Amen. He's not the way of the world, right? His thinking is above 
all of us, and the way he does things is not the norm, right? There's not the norm. His methods are not our methods, and we can trust God with his methods. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you so much for loving us. You loved us first. We couldn't love you first. You loved us first. You reached down to us. And I pray, Father, please, that those that are recognizing that you're reaching to them, that they will reach back up to you. That they will look to you and simply say, Lord, I receive you in my heart, and I want to live for you. And then, Father, I pray that as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that as we celebrate your birth and as we live our life for you every day of the year, may we give you thanks. But may we be those abnormal people in this regard, Lord, that we are able to give you thanks where the world doesn't give thanks. That when, when we are seeing the difficult times, that we can thank you. And that's all by your spirit. Your spirit teaching us that we can thank you because you are always working good in our life. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the rough times, whatever time in our life, you're always at work in and around our lives. And you're shaping us for you. And so I praise you for that because that's a reflection of your love for us. That the more you shape us to be like you, the more our life is full in you. And I pray, Father, you help us to be those vessels that you can use for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.